Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I had a conversation with somebody the other day where I thought, as a result, I've uh, I've come up with one of the um, one of the one of the benefits of the of the pandemic, which is I think it's seen the end of social kissing, and I, for one, have to say. You have an aversion to it. Relieved to see the end of social kissing because Mark is it is it you one kiss on the cheek or is it two? Just hold on, hold on, don't rush me. The you and I are old enough to have seen the advent of social kissing, haven't we? Oh yeah, we've seen the great. We see we know a time. We remember a time when it just didn't go on at all, did it? Apart from between. You know, close relations or whatever. You know, it didn't certainly didn't go on in a business context or anything of that. No, kind. And it accelerated through this to the bear hug almost immediately, didn't it? But it go just, on, when did it start? That's a good point. Well, I when don't know start? when it started, but it just grew and grew and grew, and it got to the stage where you're almost dreading being introduced to to generally members of the opposite sex in business context. Well, you didn't know whether you were expected to lunge in there for the kind of one peck of the two pecks or whatever, or <laughs> wait to be lunged upon. I mean, it, it was a social minefield. And it took so long, too, because you oh, had to go around each person. And did, oh, you, did you have to do everybody? Did you yeah, have to do the no. people you'd met before yeah. more than the people you just met now or whatever? I don't know. It just It was mad. And I realised this the other day when I, I was in in a, in a business meeting where you know people were not doing any of that kind of thing and they were not shaking hands or anything and we were remarking upon the lack of physical contact. And one person at the meeting said that he'd previously worked for an advertising agency and when he first worked for the advertising agency, they had said to him, being a young chap out of university dealing with the client, that he was actively encouraged to peck you know, members of the opposite sex working for the client on the cheek. You know, it was a good, it was a good thing to do. And we couldn't help... Reflect- User-friendly. 
Customer facing. Yeah. But we couldn't help reflecting that his his counterpart right now being introduced to that job will be told the exact opposite. Yeah. Where On he? no account. On no account. Absolutely. So when you went into that room the other day, did everybody then just sort of do little nervous waves from a distance? There's a bit of what that. did they do? Yeah. There's a bit of that. They're all kind of trying to decide what to do and you know. But there was there was none of that, you know, close physical contact. And he's just what he said, I thought, God, that's so interesting. Because he went from being and it's and it's like so many contemporary social codes. They go from becoming compulsory in one direction to becoming compulsory in, in exactly the, the opposite direction yeah. with equal force in quite a short period of time. You know what I mean? Because they feel as if they're imposed from above. They don't feel as if they're grown naturally from human behavior. They just feel that's what we've got to do right now because we've decided the world is like this. And then, oh, no, Memo comes along memo. five years later. Completely different. About you know? And it's just, it made me think. That's all, Mark. That doesn't lead anywhere at all, does it? Um, but anyway, that's my reflection. Uh, it's a very valid reflection, and it, 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 the world is a better place because of it. And also, I think we didn't we talk about this before that, um, or I may have written about this that the the greatest living advertisement for affection and friendship of our time being the Beatles. The Beatles hardly ever indulged in any physical demonstrations of, of affection to each other am i right in this you do not see the beatles with their arms around each other do you i don't think very you... occasionally very occasionally but no that's true they didn't make a big song and dance out of it did they whereas nowadays it you know if you see a band on stage even if they've only met each other about a couple of hours before at the end of the show there will be the you know the big hug, won't oh, there? Yeah. With oh yeah, with all of them. Has to be on Stand the line. <laughs> yeah, and um, I just just thought it's quite interesting that the you know the Beatles were um, I think we've said this before were more like their parents' generation than we realise, and I think similarly we are more like our parents' generation than we, we are. Realize. But with the Beatles, it's possible that that they were so physically close to each other anyway. You think of Hamburg. You think of three months. That's spent, quite close enough, I would Three imagine. months spending in the sleeping in the same room with no windows. You know, there's that wonderful uh, incident where they're in a van once. Do you remember when the window broke? And they're all wrapped in their coats. And they just lay on top of each other with a bottle of whiskey, didn't they? Like emperor penguins trying to keep warm. <laughs> you know? So in terms of that, and they shared rooms, very good. They all shared rooms, didn't they? Shared rooms in hotels, even when they were doing quite well, you know. So nobody had a, a, a more kind of, kind of sense of physical closeness, I think, with the Beatles. They didn't need to demonstrate it, did they? At all. Now, talking of bands with a great deal of physical closeness, Fleet were back. Okay. <laughs> none more. None more, because a great deal of the physical closeness. None more fractious. A lot of the physical closeness within Flute of Mac over the years has taken place without without benefit of clothing, hasn't it, really? Yeah. Because it's, 
The world's it's, greatest living soap opera up there with somewhat, oh, yeah. somewhat closer than even the Beatles. Anyway, this has come back into view, hasn't it? In the well, last Lindsay week. Buckingham, it's, it's a thing in the LA Times, isn't it, recently? Please promote Lindsay Buckingham. Has, he's made a solo record, hasn't he? And he's out yeah. there promoting it. And so he's giving interviews. And the great, the great tragedy of being Lindsay Buckingham is when people talk to Lindsay Buckingham, there's only one thing they're interested in, Fleetwood Mac. Because God bless Lindsay Buckingham, an absurdly talented person, you know, hugely important, but nobody's interested in him. And he can't his own. It because He has made, let's be honest, he's made a lot of Lindsay Buckingham records. But my question to you is, does anybody want them? Do they sell? Do we know? Well, selling records is a, is a pretty... It's pretty ancient. Yeah, concept, but I mean, the world's not panting for the next. No, this is a personal pride issue, isn't it? This is the guy who I think feels that you know uh, that seventy-five percent of the success of Fleetwood Mac is his songs and his guitar playing and his involvement in it, and therefore he has every right to go out and promote his own career because he's. I mean, he's got some history with this, hasn't he? He flounced out um, a while ago, didn't he? Um, claiming that it was nineteen eighty-seven. I think he flounced out saying his creativity was being stifled. Do you remember? Just before they went on tour. And he had to be replaced with Billy Burnett and, and Rick Vito. <laughs> yes. So two two guitar players. Actually, it's interesting because this time, because what happened here was he wouldn't go on, on tour with them in, in 2008. Well, he wanted it because he had his solo album to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he said to them, can't they delay the tour? They said no. He then tried to sue them to make them... <laughs> Stop. Am I right? To, to try and delay the tour. They, this wasn't resolved. He then claimed he was fired. But actually, they said he wasn't fired. I mean, basically what happened, uh, Irving Aslov, the manager, basically said, well, look, the situation is Stevie Nicks. It's either Stevie Nicks or it's you. <laughs> she, she, she's, she, if you stay, she'll leave. And if you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, you've got to choose between one or the other. And the group obviously chose the singer, which mm. is fair enough, isn't it? I mean, that makes sense. Well, well he, said, he, said also, like, he said it'd be like Mick Jagger saying, okay, you've got to choose between me and Keith Richards. So obviously, it, you know. He's, it's quite interesting in, in, in what it tells you about bands because Stevie Nicks is kind of the most important personality in Fleetwood Mac, isn't she? Yeah. As far as the audience is concerned, if, if you buy your ticket to see Fleetwood Mac and you know, it'll cost you a lot of money, and if Stevie Nicks is not there, and I think you're a, cross. I think you cross. You really you want cross. a kind of uh, uh, you know wispy looking character in a in a, in a black. Uh, you want Stevie Nicks floating around in the middle. You want Stevie Nicks. I've said this before. Without Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac are the Doobie Brothers. You know they're, they're, <laughs> they're just not very exciting. <laughs> Stevie Nicks is the person who makes them exciting because she's a little bit weird and a little bit out there. You know. And uh, so, yes, they did decide on her. And uh, so there he is, he's going out there giving interviews, plugging his album, uh, talking. I'm really bitch. What a bitch. He said something about her. Also, he said, she's very lonely. She's alone. Uh, yeah. oh, she yes. has people who work for her. Yeah. I'm sure he has friends, but... But you know what I mean. I, mean, I thought that's a really cruel and miserable thing to say. It's all that idea that she'd sacrifice her her life really for the band, as if there's no kind of you know family and husband and all that kind of stuff, you know. And because he's just split up with his wife, hasn't he as well? Yeah, and Lindsay yeah. Buckingham as well. Because the truth is that all of them, they you know they've been married, they've been divorced, they've been married again. 
all kinds of strange things. In truth, they're only married to one thing. And that's Fleetwood Mac, isn't it, really? Yeah. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're in the group or or they left you behind for this tour. That's what they're getting up in them every morning and thinking about, isn't it? And you've got to admire the fact that they have given in a number of very difficult circs. They've kept it going. You know, even though they haven't, he must be quite pleased about the fact that when he leaves, he's always replaced by two people. This time it's replaced by Neil Finn, wasn't it, was singing, and um, Mike Gamble. Mike Gamble. Two but really good up. people. Really, yes. really, really good people, you know. <laughs> yeah, not but just I, anybody. I just couldn't think of another group who has as internally um, fractious and litigious Riven. and combustible <laughs> is the one. I mean, I don't know. The Stones, well, Stones had their problems. You know, Mick Jagger went off and made his solo albums in the 80s, but he realised fairly soon that nobody wanted those solo albums, and he came back tail between legs and has never thought of, I don't think, of forsaking the, the, the group since, you know. I mean, the Everleys, that's on a tiny level. They absolutely loathed and detested each other. But, there's, but Fleetwood Matt, there's nothing like him. And do you ever study that, that, that time in the early 70s when there was another group called Fleetwood Mac was touring the United States, managed by Clifford Davis, who'd previously been the manager of Fleetwood Mac? That's right. And, they and sued those guys, they, no, they, they eventually had to stop. They had to stop. But uh, because they did a few shows and they just turned up, they were Builders Fleetwood Mac, and then there were just these guys, you know. And uh, one of them was a former member of Elmer Gantry's Velvet Opera. But did the, the audience point... remonstrate though? Did the audience think, <laughs> hang on a second? It's a bit of that, it's a bit of that. But the point is this those guys who took part in that are still around and they still talk about it to this day and they still say, that Mick Fleetwood was supposed to join that tour. That was supposed to be the continuation of Fleetwood Mac without the, any of the troublesome bits <laughs> that they wanted to ditch. And then, and then suddenly it wasn't working out so well, and so Mick was in the middle of it going, oh, I knew nothing about it, and so forth. So they still say this to this day. And... Uh, you know, I, I think there's something in that, you know, that, that that was the point at which they would have switched totally, you know. Uh, it's, it's an absolute... I, still, I think they're in a good position, though, because they're in a position where if they could bear eventually, in two or three years' time, to resolve things with Lindsay Buckingham, they can come back with Lindsay Buckingham. And that would be a big commercial prospect, don't you think? Wouldn't people lo love the idea of seeing I, them all back together again? Then, well, there's always that, yeah, but the um, two things... The last tour with Neil Finn and Mike Campbell was very successful because Neil Finn and Mike Campbell are really, really good. Yeah, and play, they play a load of crowded house songs and all that sort of stuff yeah. as well. It's a really, and the other, brilliant package. The other thing is when you get a bunch of musicians who are staring down the face of 80 years old, <laughs> not that far off, making long-term plans for tours, I would have thought it's quite a difficult business. It's unwise. Well, somebody's going to have a health problem, yeah. or, or the, the insurance is going to be oh, ridiculous. Or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, one must hope out of all this that at least Lindsay Buckingham gets his uh, gets his promotional value for his solo record, which I'm sure is very good, you know, because uh, I've I've got a few Lindsay Buckingham solo records and they're very good. Do I ever play them? Probably not. Probably not.
The Word Podcast, prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So funny thing about tennis, I've observed this over a long period of time. Um, whenever something remarkable and encouraging and heartening happens in the world of tennis, two things happen. And I'm going to test whether this is the case when I sure. go for a walk this afternoon and go past my local tennis club. People like me, who over the years have played a, a lot of really crap tennis, watch these remarkable events and think, it's no point at all. I'll break my tennis racket or I'll throw it into the bin or down the shed. I'll never pick it up again. And on the other hand, a larger number of people who've never played tennis in their lives. Think, oh, that looks, how hard could it be? <laughs> they look at it and think, how hard can that be? And so they go running down the park, don't they? You know, with yeah. kind of newly newly purchased tennis balls or whatever. Yeah. And Brand then find, new, crisp pair of shorts. Then they find they can't even get it over the net, you know, <laughs> because, because the basic level of technique that on display in these occasions, such as last night, is just on absolutely another level. It's incredible, isn't it? And of course, one thing about tennis is it sort of looks quite simple, don't you think? I've always, yeah. I've always found one of the most exciting things about watching pro tennis, who go to Wimbledon and so forth, is not so much the matches, it's the knockups, it's the hitting beforehand, where they just stand there and just, just put it on the same spot again yeah. and again and again for about five minutes. You yeah, think that's got to be doable? That's got to be doable. <laughs> no, no, it's really, really hard. You know. I also, and there, there were tiny moments last night where Fernandes particularly would get one across a little tiny drop shot. And you think, well, look, uh, you know, Radicana could just get to that and she'd get to it. But then you realise as it landed, you could see the backspin. Oh, absolutely. So not only was it lobbed in some little pocket, which was hard to access, but it was spinning backwards and bounced out of our way. And you think, God, the amount of skill. And well, anyways, television really. never, never depicts that properly. You know, no, it doesn't. The the, yeah. the absolute the angles of these things. <laughs> yeah, 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 they're absolutely terrifying. But I, the other thing that struck me, just reading the news this morning and looking at it, it it's shall I draw a parallel b between her success and the Beatles? Because you know everything is likened to the Beatles. She started at the absolute top, so it's like it's like the Beatles arriving in America, isn't it's, it? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Here I am, fresh at my best. And abs at the absolute top. And a good 10 years ahead of me, <laughs> probably dominating. Well, I know. It, well uh, you know, injuries are the big issue, I suppose. But, you know, and the other lovely thing, that, that thing we were saying the other day was, was that, you know, you get used to people in sport kind of when they win, they're kind of, yes, you know, yeah. that was my, that's my right. You know, I'm simply ticking off the fact that that's another conquest that I can add to the, to the, uh, to the list. And uh, in her case, she's just, as breathless and stunned and oh, amazed absolutely. and thrilled as we are. It's a beautiful... So the, it's a lovely sight. It's you know, a beautiful it's, thing to see. It really is. Yeah, and, and, and nothing nothing will ever be the same again for her. Because no, never. Then, then now she'll be expected to win. And she'll be expected to win. That's a totally different thing. You Completely know, different thing. Well, There's I a hope... lovely, lovely little quote this morning from Gareth Southgate saying, talking about teenagers in sport, and he said, well, I picked this particularly young uh, 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 English te England team because uh, I didn't want people who were burdened with the, with lumbered with the burden of failure. I thought that was a really interesting point, you know, that the older you get, the more you can 
can see how things can go wrong. Oh, absolutely. When you're 18, you just think, right, let's go to America and see what happens. We might have to cancel our flight home early if we're very lucky, but I I doubt it, you know, and that's just... But once you've done it once, it's never quite the same again, is it? No. Talking as if I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, uh, you know, never glad, confident morning again, as the old poem goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But that was glad, confident morning, undoubtedly. And the other lovely thing is that... that, uh, you know, you get people just coming out of nowhere. I kept bumping into people yesterday saying, uh, can I watch Emma? Are you watching Emma this evening? She, she should do it in two. Oh, she should do it in two. You think, what? Where did this come from? Oh, I hate it's that. Like, I hate that referring to sports stars by their first name, know, as, if, as if they're your next-door neighbour or something know, like that. Really funny. As if you've been throwing their ball back for the last 10 years, you know. Yeah, you haven't really. So it uh, reminded me of that thing. In, was it in Days and Confused that we were looking at the other day about the thing about real fans? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah the idea that there was a brilliant uh, clip, which I think we've talked about before, with Tim Lovejoy, the Sky presenter, interviewing Martin Freeman. And, uh, and he's wearing a Ramones T-shirt. And Martin Freeman goes, so Ramones? Okay, right. Na- name, name one member of the Ramones. And there's a pause, and then he looks at his T-shirt, and he sees it written on it is Johnny, Joey, he says, no, and then Martin says, no, all right, okay, forget that, it's written on your shirt. Name one one track by the Ramones, and he's unable to do it. And his whole thing is, you know, that, that this is outrageous, that people are now wearing these T-shirts who, who in a sense, almost don't have a right to do so. And the piece in the piece in uh, days confused about the fact that I think is it Courtney Kardashian has been wearing yes. a Cure T-shirt. So of course Cure fans and a lot of other people are thinking, is she really that devoted to the Cure, or does that just say the right thing about her? And how, do, is there any proof that she's ever listened to this group? And I love it because it's got to the point now where, where some people are arguing that yeah, you know, you've got to you've got to pass some kind of test to prove that you're a, a real fan. You see, that's the thing. Isn't it? It's that's a ludicrous concept in itself. Yeah, people you're always a- people always talk about this when there's a controversy over how difficult tickets are to get for, yeah. for live shows. You know, and uh, you say you know if they if they go on these secondary markets or whatever, yeah, they, the real fans are cut out. Well, I don't know. I don't know if the if they are, if real fan is a concept that holds water at all, you know. Because how do you measure this? You know, do know. you measure do you measure a real fan on the basis that they've been there the longest, or do you measure on the basis that they've spent more money than anybody else, or they've travelled further than everybody? Yeah, else? amount of amount of records owned, amount of bootlegs, and, and is that uh, a good ability thing? to name B sides? You, you know. know, if you're a performer. Um, I often think this when I go to see Bob Dylan, you know, that the first kind of 10 rows are absolutely occupied by real fans to the extent they've been watching him for 40 years. And uh, they're just a bit jaded, aren't they, really? You know, if you are Bob Dylan, you'd probably rather go on stage in front of a bunch of 35-year-olds who hadn't seen you We've before. have never seen you. One of the problem with the people in the front row is that they're, they're not really enjoying it. <laughs> and I know because I've said those phrases. We have to. They're not enjoying it, you know, because they've always got some reason to be disappointed. He didn't play this song. He didn't play the verse that he sometimes include the verse that he sometimes includes in that song. They've seen so much of it. They've got so much to compare with that they're they're just again they're just ticking it off as another thing they went to, going home feeling a bit miserable. You know, which must be the most difficult people to play to. Christ. I'm sure they are. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And and the other thing is, you know, the idea that... um, that just because you've uh, been listening to somebody or seen somebody for a long, long time, you you kind of know more about them than somebody who's picked them up relatively recently. Well, that's I not really true it's anymore. It's not really true anymore. That's the thing that struck me. It struck me a few times in the last year while talking to um, uh, the, the guys who run the, uh, the Nothing Is Real podcast, the... Um, the Beatles one. Beatles one, yeah. Um, and these are two, two Irish guys. So I, I, I'm guessing they're in the 30s and 40s or something like that. You know, they know more about the Beatles than you and I do, and we grew up with the Beatles, don't they? You well, know, they've got that kind of freshness of energy of you know, the, and there's more available to find out. There's more available there? to find far, out. Far more things to, yeah, far more. And so I think you could say the same thing. You know that that. Uh, you know, the, the, the people who know more about Bruce Springsteen or Steely Dan or whoever will not necessarily be the people who grew no. up with them. There'll be a, another generation who's come along. And also... When did T-shirts, when, when, did, when did T-shirts start? You know, I, what, I, I well, can't you mean, really remember now. When I remember seeing Keith Richards wearing a Bob Marley T-shirt, Earl's Court, in 1976. And... Um, I mean, obviously, we'd started before that, but when when did that whole idea that you advertise your? Because when we were kids, I mean, the way you expressed your affection for a group was, I don't know, writing their name on your book. You wrote their their name name. on the exercise book, and and you carried their album about. More and more than that. Now, I'll tell you what I did, Mark. If you're if you're like me, and I'm, and this may ring a bell with older listeners. You used to carry your books to school, stuff to school, in a, in a kind of ex-army kit bag yep. that you bought the army and navy stores. Upon which you'd written Chicken Shack in oh, Byron. Absolutely. You would, and then they, they had a kind of bobbly surface when you got close to them. So they were the world's least friendly surface on which yep. to inscribe the names of, you know, the animals, Chicken That's Shack, it, yeah. as you correctly, Vinegar Joe, Rory Gallagher, Rory whatever. Gallagher. 
a bit, and you would do it with a biro on the on the thing, and very often spell them wrong or something. That's right. like, yeah. And you'd be stuck with them for absolutely years. But in terms of t-shirts, I mean, t-shirts were always there, but you couldn't afford them, and you know, and, you know, and a wide range of them would not be available. And you started to get merchandise. Well, merchandise became a, a regular feature of gig going at a certain level from the eighties, didn't it? Really? Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a big thing in the seventies. No, I it don't wasn't. Think. You might. I suppose they were tour t-shirts, but there must have been because you occasionally see people wearing, you know, seventies tour t-shirts. But otherwise, I don't think there was actually. Very often, if you're looking at a seventies tour t-shirt, that's it's a, a fake. Re- it's a replica. Yeah. <laughs> made in the nineties to look like the seventies. But the other thing that struck me about, um, you know, how do you identify real fans? You know, you know, there's only a certain number of tickets to go and see whoever. They should go to the real fans. All right, what are you going to do that? How, how are you going to work that out? Are you going to introduce... Written exam. Risky, you've got a written exam. So you've got to, <laughs> yeah, you've got a proof of uh, musical ownership. You've got a, <laughs> right, all right, here's one. You've got a recitation of an entire lyric. There you go. Revelation of obscure but true fact. They, um, they, they'll take they, they, they'll have uh, people going amongst the audience, tapping people on the shoulder, and just uh, quietly asking them to accompany them outside. That's right, because they've been replaced by somebody who knows more than knows you more. do, who's a bigger fan than you are, who's come further, who's sacrificed more than you. It yeah. doesn't make so you've any lost sense. your seat. You, I think you're going to be shown a photograph of, of the act. You've got to say when and where it was taken. Good, isn't it? We can do that in the Beatles. You know, once it, once you, you, you recognise all their uh, facial hair and, and, and haircuts and clothes, I can pretty much date most Beatles speeches. But yeah, it needs some kind of yeah. I think it's a written. A written what line comes comes ne- next in this lyric? It's that kind of thing, isn't it? It needs policing, and the it sooner does. and the sooner the better. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. Any other business? Um, Correspondence from the massive. Interesting, uh, following up something we I think we were talking about last week, Stephen Lamb, who describes himself modestly, fair enough, as a resident yes expert. All right, fair enough. You, you can Seriously have that job. contested slot. <laughs> you can have that job, Stephen. That's fine. Uh, we were talking about the Iron Butterfly PA. Aren't you sorry you missed that? <laughs> you're in the that. deep end of the world yeah. you're here podcast, aren't you there? Uh, we were talking about the Iron Butterfly <laughs> PA, how, which was which yes inherited when they sported on tour in the late sixties, and uh, and he says the point wasn't just that the PA sounded better; it also had monitoring almost for the first time, so a band could hear themselves play, so played and more importantly sang in tune. Very good point, Stephen. Absolutely good point because re- yes, that that was one of the things I think we were remarked upon last week. That they could not only play, they could also sing, and they could all sing, you know, which really made a difference. So having their PA help them in this, uh, Darren, Darren Leithley, um, who I think is getting in touch from from Dublin, um, it says following the the late cancellation of the cricket, the England India Test, which was called off with like two hours to, before the start the other day. He says, have you ever been, ever been to a gig where the act didn't make it to the stage? And he says he, he's had two cases, both of which were weather-related. I think this is in, in Dublin. Scritability were delayed on the Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollyhead Dublin Ferry and, uh, and couldn't get there on the day. And the National 
where we're still trekking across a frozen island from somewhere down the southwest up to the Olympic Theatre, Olympia Theatre. So they didn't make that make it to that um, to that show. And this reminded me. I think I've got a bit of a collector's item here, actually, Mark. In well, you my... actually went to a gig with it, where the band didn't turn up. No, I'm going to go further. Go I went on. to a, I went to a gig where the band did turn up but didn't play. I went to this is way back in 1968. Uh, I went to what was supposed to be a mammoth all nighter at the Queen's Hall, a former tram turning shed in Leeds. Okay. <laughs> The least hospitable I was going to say. you can possibly yeah, keep, keep your great coat on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. More to the point, I was doing a bit of research on this, and I think it was February, so it must have been pretty damn chilly. And I think you're absolutely right. I did keep my my army, army surplus. No, it was actually navy great coat, yeah, yeah. navy blue great coat on all the way. And what's more, I walked all the way home, which is a considerable distance. Clearly, no, no all-night transport in those days. Anyway, it was supposed to see a load of acts, including Chuck Berry and including The Herd, and I do remember The Herd. But The Move, I really wanted to see The Move. And this was The Move were at their kind of the peak of their powers, really. The classic line of The Move. Let's just, you know, let's remind ourselves once more. Trevor Burton, Bev Bevan, Carl Wayne, Ace the Singing Skull Kefford, and Roy <laughs> Wood. Okay. God, I love the move. And this is the year, it must have been the year of Blackberry Way and, and yeah. so forth, you know. And um, what I remember about the move is, is that they couldn't play because I think their equipment had arrived. And uh, instead, they trooped on stage. And, and just stood there. Oh, that makes it rather, worse. It sort of makes it worse. Yeah. Look, you think, why can't shit? they borrow somebody else's? And you know. Yeah, I suppose so. And uh, but we just accepted it. And uh, I suppose that was the promoter's way of Trudged getting around. Our weary way home. Getting around people demanding their money back. Well, you saw the move. You didn't see them play, but there they clearly were. You know, that's the five yeah. members of the move. So that's my that's my contribution to that. Have you ever turned up? No, I've where, never. I've never been to gig did? where the band didn't play. I mean, the only thing I got close to was in terms of delay was the famous Nebworth 1976. Right. Ten CC came on an hour and a half late because uh, the Stones' roses had cut through all the uh, the cables to delay them while Keith Richards recovered from uh, over intoxication. But no, I've never actually not seen a. I've never never been to a gig where, where they didn't turn up. Oh well, that would have been mortifying. Uh, Royston Vince says, would people be too embarrassed to see certain bands because of their names? And he, the example he proposes is Throbbing Gristle. Uh, and, you know, what, what, what bands have particularly, particularly well, embarrassing thought, names? We talked about Prefab Sprout before. I always found it very hard to talk publicly <laughs> yes. about my affection for Prefab Sprout. It's <laughs> yeah. such a terrible name. Um, we got married in a fever. It comes from that line, doesn't it? But that, that doesn't excuse the fact that the band are called Prefab Sprout, which is so frightful. The, the, it was just the most. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's Simply terrible. awful. Smashing Pumpkins, I thought was an absolutely dreadful name. <laughs> I couldn't see anything remotely. And the thing that embarrassed me, and I can remember, you know, starting out as a, as a music kind of journalist and trying to explain to my parents what I was doing. And occasionally they'd sort of ring up and say, what are you, you know, what, what, what are you up to? And I, was, I, I remember telling them and, where it was, 79 ages, and I was going on the road with the band. 
and they're very excited about this and thought, well, that's you know, what's that entailed? You know, and what's the band called? I can remember the terrible pause before I said, they're called Bow Wow Wow. And it's just, it's, re it's really hard <laughs> to hold your head up <laughs> and give the impression that you've got a serious job that yeah. might be going somewhere. Yeah, you're on the road with Bow Wow Wow. Your dad's oh. not telling people at work about that. He's he? not. Yes, no, my, no. Boy, my boy's off with Bow Wow Wow. But it's amazing how quickly any band's name, you just kind of forget what any yeah, there might be and they just become the name, you know. Yeah, how about yeah. you? Anyone you just couldn't bear? Oh, I, I yeah, I, I couldn't think really of people that I actually went on the road with. What I'd be too embarrassed to say, but but I always think you know there's certain there's certain names that that, that will, you'll never get over. You know, like Dumpy's Rusty Nuts and things <laughs> like Tucky Buzzard. <laughs> yeah, it's those kind of things. But Bruce Droop, yeah, Bruce Droop. It's a certain kind of lumpen. Yeah, it is. You know, they deserve to be on the bottom of the bill with those kind of names. You know, it's quite interesting. The contrast. Never going to fly. Somebody drew my attention to this uh, a few years ago. That the great Motown groups all had names that were aspirational. The Temptations. Yeah. The Supremes. The Miracles. Yeah, the yeah. Velvelettes. The Marvelettes. They were all... They were all reaching for the stars, yes. those names. Dumpy's Rusty Nuts are doing something directly opposite, aren't they? Yeah. Where they're kind of taking the mickey out of themselves first to save you the trouble of doing it after. There's no aspiration in naming a group Dumpy's Run Rusty Nuts or even Bow Wow Wow, really. You know what I mean? They're, they're kind of names that are running from success. They're limiting, aren't they? Prefab Sprout's another case. It, oh, terrible, because they're such a wonderful group. Yeah, yeah, and it just seems to misrepresent them completely. Anyway, I've had some correspondence I, I, from James Carter, and James wanted to know why we haven't had Peter Frampton on Word in Your Attic. And there's a reason for this, Mark. We did try. We tried. And, and, you know, we went through the channels, and, uh, and they were going to do it. But they said, Peter, I don't know if this is coming from Peter or, or he's various, you know, intermediaries or whatever, representatives on earth. Um, they said he won't do it in vision. And, we and said, of all people to do all not people. want to do it in vision. Sorry, but Peter Frampton, at <laughs> one stage, literally the world's <laughs> the, the best-looking man in rock, and yeah. still fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, he looks fabulous. He, he? looks fabulous. And uh, and we said, oh, well, that's such a shame. We like Peter Frampton. We'd love to talk to Peter Frampton. But on that occasion, he wouldn't do it in vision. And we said, tell you what, we're not really set up to do audio only of these things at the moment. Let's just forget it. So that's Yeah, because it was a word in your attic, wasn't it? It was going to be him digging out a few old records and talking about a book he got. Yeah. It's a shame. So that's the reason. That's true. Mike Gray says, are ticket prices too high now for the casual fan to take a chance on a show? Short answer, Mike. Yes. <laughs> Didn't somebody respond to that tweet you're saying that they'd looked at the Eric Clapton ticket prices and there was one for £4,500? That can't be right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, a, it's just, it's not... Well, it could be, I suppose, isn't it? It could be in a box with some kind of hospitality with a, with package. With a very expensive dinner attached. thrown in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you... And you get find... to go on holiday for a week with Eric Clapton afterwards. I don't know. Yeah. 
you can find you can find tickets at eye watering prices, but uh, but even without going to that to that those lengths, you know the basic. Well, the t- basically, as we've said many times, when Led Zeppelin were in their pomp, nineteen seventy two, whatever, it cost it cost two pounds fifty to go and see them, and two pounds ninety nine to buy their record. <laughs> you know, so. It was cheaper to go and see somebody as a buyer at their record. And then it, it just switched and it's gone. You know, that gap has got greater and greater ever since. So, you know, people did used to just turn up to see bands, didn't they? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly in clubs. There's no spontaneity things. left, is there? So no, let's take a chance on this. You can't do that. I mean, you know, how much, how much would you pay to go and see somebody that people say, oh, they're quite good, you know, just you ought to check them out, as they say in the music business. How much would you pay to just check them out, Mark Allen? What's the point of which you say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not paying that much to see somebody? This is what a group that I've never heard of. Yeah, well, if I've told you that, they're quite good, actually. Go on, how much are you going to spend? It's beyond 25 quid a risk. It is, isn't it? It is. I wouldn't expect you to. I wouldn't expect to pay because you're paying it for two people, probably. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's quite an expensive evening. Out, it? it really is <laughs> crippling. Uh, so yeah, I think I think answer to your your point, Mike. I think they are too high now for the casual fan to take a chance. Uh, but I think I think they probably have been for for uh, for quite a while. So uh, and um, we have various people noting the passing of Michael Chapman. Who, I'm going to make a I'm going to make a confession here. I don't know anything about Michael Chapman. I don't much either. I saw him in the Marquee once, and I wrote a review about him for the Enemy. Oh, well. But I mean, well, I, yeah. and he played lots of ragtime. I can remember lots of lots of slightly jazz things. He was very kind of Django Reinhardt. And all I can remember about Michael Chapman was, apart from that, he made forty records, which I, I can't say I've listened to very many of. Was that that Peel used to go on about him a lot? Do you remember John Peel used to love him? He always used to play Postcards of Scarborough. On his show. All right. But no, I I didn't. And I think a lot of people got confused with Roger Chapman. So, you know, but, you know, what a career. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, long innings. And uh, and one of those people who probably had a a greater following late in life than he would have had, you know, back in his 20s or something, you know, because um, it's kind of, it's like the Nick Drake effect, isn't it, really? Completely. People go around looking for rediscovering 70s acoustic singer-songwriters and so forth. Um, Phil Turner wanted us to talk about Fleetwood Mac. We've done that already, haven't we? Um, We have. We've given Lindsay Buckingham a pretty good shooing, I think. (laughs) Chris Chris Richards says, which albums will be better for being shorter, excluding doubles? All of them. All of them, Chris, basically. They get all... All records could could stand to be shorter. It's just in thirty five minutes. The the LP record, which is the standard format, was the standard format, was was set at thirty five to forty minutes because that's what it took to accommodate a, a extended piece of classical music, three movements of a symphony. There is no earthly reason why you know bow wow wow or anybody should be best represented by that number of songs. It's just what they ended up, what they ended up doing. And it got so, worse when CDs arrived because then instead of having it. whatever it was, 40 minutes, you then had an hour. Oh my Lord. 
Oh yeah, I'm not sure. I totally agree because I think there's something rather exciting about the value of an album. That the the, 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 the slightly iffy tracks, the ones that make you appreciate the other ones more, if you listen to it as an album. Oh, okay. But there were certain examples. My God, on Amagama by the Floyd, there was a record. There was a track called "Several Species of Small Furry Animals Gathered Together in a Cave and Grooving, Grooving with, with a Picked." Pick. Do you remember that? <laughs> And it was just a series of really annoying sound effects. And that, oh my God, it was rotten. You just prayed that was on the record. But there's a really good example of Yola Tango, who I, I, I quite like. Uh, Yola Tango made a, made, a, made a record called And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. And all their records are too long. They're all over an hour. And this has, this ends with a, a final song called Night Falls on Hoboken. And how long is that, Dave? This is a record that's already way too long. This is the last track. How long is that track? God, I don't know. Seventeen God. minutes, forty-two seconds. Oh God! Can you imagine? Oh my uh, Lord! Have you ever read that wonderful spoof of uh, of Yola Tango in in the Onion? Oh yeah, that, yeah. But, which but is, their audience, but that's right. Oh God, it's funny. They they were the, just they're, they're all kind of librarians and nerds <laughs> that people go to listen to them. It's <laughs> absolutely brilliant. So it's time to welcome new Patreon supporters. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Uh, Alan Probert, old friend of ours, who's out now. Out where we had him in Australia, lovely fellow. He was transported years ago, wasn't he? Sent to Van Diemen's Land or something. But <laughs> lovely, Pom. Yeah, lovely to hear from you, Alan. Uh, Scott Blackie. And uh, Kahal Chu, and uh, as an access all areas uh, patron supporter, so we'll we'll be finding out more there. David Cook also similar. Adrian Craddock, John Penny, and Paul Desmond. Lovely to have you all on board. And if you'd like to join them, um, the place to do it to find out how you could uh, how you could get access to all areas to absolutely everything we do. In full, in living color, where applicable, uh, is is by going to patreon.com slash word in your ear for further details. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.